1: please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the prism of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf.
0: And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky.
1: And today we are talking about the Peacock reboot of Saved by the Bell. Uh, Jesse, Preppy, you want to tell us a little bit about the new Saved When I wake Bell.
0: up in the morning and all I'm just I don't want it I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I grab my books and I give myself a look I'm at my the... sorry, Mike. I'm... Let's let's let's
1: start there because that is arguably one of the greatest theme songs in the history of TV theme songs and. Forgive me if you might be a fan, but I'm just here to say that the new theme song of the new Save by the Bell is straight up garbage.
0: That take is on fire. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's by Little Yachty. Little Yachty. <laughs> uh, Lil, I know. Lil Yachty. Lil here, Yachty. Here's the real question. Which is a better reboot theme song? The Save by the Bell reboot or the Fuller House, which is the Full House reboot, which is uh, the same theme song just sang by, sung by Carly Rae Jepsen.
1: I'm pretty sure that anything sung by Carly Rae Jepsen is better than anything else sung by anybody else ever in history.
0: All right. So with that in mind. Flaming although, hot takes here, this, left, this left and right. The theme song has, uh, does not hold a candle to the College Years theme song. No, Stand we're standing at the, at the edge of, the edge of tomorrow. tomorrow. No.
1: All right. It's all up now, to you how far you'll go.
0: Now that we've gotten that out of our system, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about the Saved by the Bell reboot. Full disclosure, this is my al this is my chuva I am doing. Uh, we have never reviewed a show on Peacock before, which is NBC's new streaming service.
1: A good Peacock uh, to you, Jesse.
0: <laughs> for all you 30 Rock fans out there, uh, it's built itself as a free streaming service, and there are certain things that are premium content tricks you into, thing, into it by having the first episode of the Save by the Bell reboot be free. And then you have to sign up for premiere access to watch the rest of the remaining nine episodes. Uh, I signed up for the seven day trial and watched the rest of the season in three days and then canceled my trial uh, so that I was not charged. What about you, Mike?
1: <laughs> uh, that was my plan. Uh, it did not happen that way. My kids discovered the original Save by the Bell uh, on, on Peacock, and they've been watching it nonstop, and I sort of didn't have the heart to uh, get rid of the premium version. Although, uh, from what I understand, you can still watch the original Save by the Bell, even if you only have the free version. So we'll probably uh, make that happen in the next couple of days or so.
0: And the college years. I don't the think college has- years,
1: are, are the college years on it?
0: I think so. I don't think it has the new class, though. Bummer. Um, Well, this Saved by the Bell reboot uh, brings together uh, the original Bayside Tigers. Almost all of them. You have Zach Morris, who is governor of California. Governor Zach. He became governor. I think he decided to run because he didn't want to pay a parking ticket or something like that.
1: That that tracks.
0: Uh, It it shows him as a successful lawyer, reference to uh, his role in Franklin and Bash. uh, and. Tiffany Amber Thesens Kelly Kapowski is uh, the first lady of California. Uh, A.C. Slater is a gym teacher at Bayside High. Jesse Spano, that is Dr. Jesse Spano, is a guidance counselor. Uh, Lark Voorhees makes uh, a, a brief appearance in episode eight, where she FaceTimes or calls in. Uh, she's a fashion designer in Paris, a uh, lot of money. Screech is mentioned. He does not appear. I'm pretty sure he's in jail because he tried to stab somebody in a bar fight, Dustin Diamond. Um, but with that in mind, it uses- What about the- Mr. Belding? Why isn't Mr. Belding Mr. in it? Mr. Belding, I don't know. He was not there, but Max of The Max, he made an appearance as well. Um,
1: magic and all
0: the show uses the original cast to introduce us to new students. And essentially what Zach Morris was no idea what to do as governor of California uh, to balance his budget. He decides to, um, close failing schools, schools that were financial bleeders. And when he gets pushed back, he says, well, the answer is that they should go to schools like where his son Mac Morris goes, which is Bayside. And the series begins with the students of Douglas high school, which is the inner city school, um, mostly people of color, uh, students of color, um, A school that did not have the financial benefits of the PTA of Bayside High, specifically focusing on the students from that school, Daisy, Aisha, and Devante, and they become uh, included in the student body at Bayside. Daisy ends up becoming sophomore class president. Aisha, a real Shattering of the glass ceiling. Aisha becomes the starting quarterback of the Bayside Tigers. Uh, Devante and uh, a real uh, acknowledgement of race, racial stereotypes. Uh, AC Slater assumes he's going to play football, and Devante just wants to sing in the school musical. Uh, but they become friends with really the three main characters who were already at Bayside, which is Mac Morris, which is Zach and Kelly's son. Uh, you have Jamie. Um, Spano, who was Jesse Spano's son and then you also have uh, their friend Lexi. Uh, Lexi um, played by Josie Tota. Uh, Lexi uh, is a trans student in the school. uh, The uh, most popular plastic uh, as they were if we want to make a mean girls reference in this in the setting and overall the show is funny it is woke bayside is woke in 2020 it uh, talks a lot about class it talks a lot about race. Um, It really does not reference the fact that there is a transgender student at the school at all as a story, as part of the arc of the narrative. It is fully accepted and embraced by the student body that one of the most popular girls in school happens to be trans. Uh, But a lot of it has to do with uh, race and racial dynamics, um, racial stereotypes and class and how those are intertwined. Uh, There are some Real deep cuts. It makes a reference to Kevin screeches robot. It makes a reference to Tori. For those of you who are fans of those random episodes in the last season where somehow uh, Jesse and Kelly just disappear and Tori shows up. Well, makes a Kelly, went, to- Kelly went to model in, in Paris. Something like that. But no, it doesn't make mention of where Jesse went. Um, and uh, it also makes a reference to Jeff. And my favorite is when they bring the... Uh, original basically take us back together to sing Friends Forever, part of the Zack Attack reference. Zach attack. Uh, that's the episode eight where it really goes to a deep dive of the original series. I thought it was a fun series. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it was written by one of the writers of 30 Rock. Uh, pretty funny, in some ways much funnier than the original series. And it makes fun of the original series in many ways and how silly and absurd it was. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, so
1: I... Um there were things that even from the jump I loved about the reboot uh, and things that I was less of a fan uh, 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 about it. you know, I, I found myself loving it more as the episodes went on, especially as the shift, uh, the, the focus shifted to the new class, uh, not the old new class uh, of the short-lived uh, television series uh, just after "Say by the Bell went off. The original "Say by the Bell went off the air. But this new class...
0: Breach was in that, and Mr. Belding was in that one. True,
1: yes. So they feel like they've already done the new class thing, I guess. Um, but anyway, the, when, when the focus shifted to this new class of characters, I think that the, um, that the actors are great, the characters are really compelling. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of their dynamic um, as time goes on. It's a very different um, series than the original Saved by the Bell, which was uh, much more... I think, you know, wholesome humor uh, and, um, you know, even though it was set in the nineties and there are elements of it that are very 1990s, the, 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 the fashion and the, uh, um, the the hair and et cetera, et cetera, of that original series. um, The, the dynamic of the show, the dynamic of the characters was, was in some ways like, very nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. You know the, this sort of like you know high school is this sort of rigid hierarchy with the with the handsome jocks on top um, and the geeks and nerds at the bottom. Uh, and you know it, it you know very heteronormative, uh, uh, very uh, white uh, centric uh, in the original series, right? And this uh, series is is really not. It's very much. Um, a of a piece of 2020 uh, and, uh, and is very current in that way. It's very ironic and self-referential, which made for some great humor. Like there's some of those deep cuts that you mentioned um, that as a fan of the original show, I certainly got and really appreciated sometimes, you know, got you know resulted in, in belly laughs. Um, But there were times in which I felt like it was not lovingly making fun of the original series. It was uh, making fun of the original series in a way that, you know, that that seemed to me designed to kind of uh, say, like, if you liked... These aspects of the original series, like you were probably racist or you were probably a homophobe uh, or you were probably a misogynist, all of which may actually be true. Uh, and so it may be my like white fragility coming out here and talking about how that was an aspect of this new series that I that I didn't love. I didn't love how winking it was to the original series, um, how you know how how much it emphasized the corniness of the original series. Like I would have liked to have a new series, a new Save by the Bell that could, that could really stand on its own two feet. I do think that this new cast is able to do that. Um, I think that, you know, that, that getting off of the original cast and and moving more in that direction will make it just a much better series going forward. And I, and I, you know, sort of encouraged by that, like watching this, um, I felt like they made a Save by the Bell for, you know, the now grown up original fans of the series, I would have liked to see a new Saved by the Bell for my eight-year-old daughter, right? Who, you know, that was probably the age I was around when when I first fell in love with Saved by the Bell. Which um, may
0: or may not have been right appropriate looking back. But I also <laughs> watched it when I was in like elementary school or early middle school, when the show I think was intended for high schoolers at the time.
1: I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it was a Saturday morning show. It was, It was, maybe it was like, tween oriented or something like that but um but anyway like I loved it you know uh in in those years as a child I don't think that my eight-year-old daughter is going to love this one nor do I think it would be appropriate for her to watch it necessarily yet but she is watching now the original series she just kind of discovered it um and just is obsessed with it now Um, for better or worse you know there are things that are you know not so 2020 appropriate about that original series uh, by our by our contemporary sensibilities and for good reason. Um, but I just like, that's part of me. I found myself wishing, you know, that they made a new Saved by the Bell for her and not for me.
0: You know, it's interesting what you said about how, how you saw it as well. If you liked the original series, then you were homophobic or racist uh, or misogynist or, or something like that. Um, I've done, you know, I'm running out of new shows to watch. And so I've done some deep dives and rewatching old shows thanks to all these streaming services. Um, one of those uh, that I've dabbled in, again, is Beverly Hills 90210. And some of it just like doesn't hold up in the sense that the way these high school men talk about women, uh, the, the, they talk about their, their female students, uh, would not be appropriate. Or it would never make it onto TV anymore because uh, it was so inappropriate but socially acceptable uh, at the time.
1: And, and I guess that, that was always a feature of Saved by the Bell, right? To quote uh, Zach Morris's uh, submission for Bayside's school song, right? Bayside is a school that's cool and you know that it's true. The guys are the coolest and the girls are the hippest too. The teachers try to stop us but you know that they don't have a clue, right? There's an element of the original Saved by the Bell um, that was about how you know adults just didn't get it, right? And I think that that's present in this one too. The, the old class, the original class are the the adults who don't get it anymore they have to sort of like learn to get it and i think that that it's that that now it's saying to us like we're we're now you know in a place where we're kind of aware of the ways in which um uh you know the the mindset the way we related to each other the way we related to our society the way we didn't you know those of us who grew up presenting white male cisgendered heterosexual uh and uh and and you know upper middle class, um, you know, we're just totally unaware of the experience of people who didn't fall into those categories. And it charged our, um, the way we related to each other and to people who were not like us. And I think that this show calls that out, right. And says like, like, you know, you the kids today, like are very aware of how those dynamics um, they are both. with the exception of Mac Morris, right? They're very aware of those dynamics, right? And and the and the adults have to catch up to them.
0: Absolutely. And I think by making fun of itself, it calls out, you know, there's that conversation that AC Slater and Jesse Spano have, where he's like, Oh, you know, I shouldn't have called you mama all those times. That was not appropriate. It sort of helps him understand in the same way society has evolved from the patriarchy that we're still trying to tear down, uh, that's the the, the subconscious misogyny, the subconscious racism, uh, the subconscious uh, homophobia and, and heteronormative nature of society still exists. To the point where even the PTA... Uh, was like, and and this is really, you know, a a real question about Sadaka. I don't want to go here just yet. When they were like, don't worry, the Douglas students, uh, you don't have to be at Bayside anymore. We've raised enough money for you to open up your school and look how beautiful it is. But, and you could say we're giving Sadaka, but we're giving Sadaka so that you stay as outsiders because we actually don't want to integrate and have you involved in our community.
1: Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, I, you know, I found that uh, that storyline which is sort of the main driving storyline in the in, in this season um, to be really powerful and, and compelling uh, you know and I, I live in a city um, I, although you know it's uh, um, I don't know if it's encouraging or discouraging to know that it's you know something that is clearly present in in California too and, and uh, probably in a lot of other places in the country but in Richmond which uh, as many people know is the uh, capital of the uh, former Confederacy, um, uh, you know, schools today. Home of are, the Civil
0: War Museum. What's that? Home of the Civil War Museum. That's
1: right, Home of the Civil War Museum. We recently redone Civil War Museum that that I think really does a much better job of of you know really fully capturing um, the the um, the the history and the dynamics that are played in the Civil War, but that's another topic. But you know, I live in a city where um, schools. Um, are today more segregated by race than they were during the Jim Crow era, right? Um, You know, and so, like, you think to yourself, like, how is that possible, right? And this, you know, in this show, I think, kind of says, like, yes, in 2020, um, schools are still segregated, and there are people who we might, you know, otherwise say are, like, well-meaning white people who, like, deliberately try to keep them so.
0: Absolutely, and that's especially true in my own community and my own town. I live in a very bright blue progressive part of New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey uh, has the most segregated school districts in the country. It's because in our small state, we have something like 600 different school districts. Uh, Every town has its own school district, less people from urban areas um, and low income housing and minorities be Uh, in the same school district and go to the same school as uh, upper middle class or upper class white families. Even in our own town where we pride ourselves on integration and our progressive nature, you go to your your community elementary school. And this was a big deal a number of years ago when they talked about reformatting the schools in our town so that there was more integration within elementary schools and it wasn't based on uh, certain neighborhoods where the cost of living was different than other neighborhoods impacting the students who went to those schools. And those progressive families who pride ourselves on the progressive nature of our town, many of them uh, were very upset about this restructuring of the school district and this quote-unquote forced integration of the schools.
1: Right. I mean, we had the same phenomenon here. Uh, and uh, just recently we had it, uh, and, you know, and it was a, a similar phenomenon that played out, you know, here and all over the country uh, in, you know, in, the, in the 60s and 70s during the era of, uh, of integration and forced integration. Right? What, you know, what white people ended up doing is, you know, moving out to the suburbs uh, and, uh, um, you know, uh, repopulating uh, predominantly white school districts um, to, you know, flee uh, forced integration. Um, and, and I think, you know, to, to the point that you're raising about, about this, or to kind of like connect it to, um, you know, Jewish conversation, you know, I, my mind went to um, the first Mishnah of the Tractate Shabbat in, in the Talmud. And the first Mishnah, um, it's, it's all about the idea of, of Hutzah ah, so like you're not allowed to take, uh, to, to carry from one domain to another domain on Shabbat. And, uh, and the, the scenario that it brings up in that Mishnah is, a person is inside their house and there's a poor person outside. And, you know, what are the uh, ways in which you can, uh, uh, in keeping with Shabbat, you can give, uh, you can give tzedakah, you can give charity to the poor person. Well, if they stick their hand in the window, if you stick your hand out the window, whatever. My teacher, Ramimi Feigelson, you know, after studying that, Mishnah would always ask her students, you know, is the Mishnah really asking us here, like, why is the Balabite, why is the house owner in the house and the poor person still out of the house? Right? Like like what's not spoken in the Mishnah is kind of the maybe the moral message is that like you wouldn't have had a Shabbos problem if the Owner of the house actually invited the poor person in for a Shabbos meal and and a place to stay, right? So here you have, a, I think, a similar dynamic uh, at at play that you know people are sort of twisting themselves in knots to figure out, okay, how can I support a person while while still keeping them at arm's distance, right? How can I? Um, and and it goes back to you know what uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said uh, in Brown versus Board of Education in, in 1954, that separate is inherently unequal.
0: Uh, you know, I think what often happens because we don't want to acknowledge our own privilege and we don't want to acknowledge that we are part of the problem, even when we are trying to be part of the solution, what ends up happening is that we find it more comfortable dealing with issues of justice that seem so far removed from us than dealing with those that are in our own backyard. And so I find it really interesting that these parent association at, at Bayside, right? they were raising money to – Fix uh, up and reopen Douglas High, and when the principal was asked, he said, "This happens every couple of years, and it was almost laughable because of how true it is and how uh, much it makes you want to bang your head against the wall." Right, that people give Sadaka and they think they've done their job. I mean, if you even if you look at Rambam's uh, ladder of giving. Right. He says, according to, to Rashi's interpretation uh, in, in Masechah Shabbat, and this is where Ramam gets it from, that the highest form of tzedakah you can do is to go into a business partnership with somebody so that they can end up sustaining themselves, right? Or as the proverb says, that you teach a man to fish, he, he has food for a lifetime. Giving tzedakah to somebody and then abandoning them doesn't, lift them out of the economic divide that exists, the class divide, and in many ways, as a result, the educational divide that exists by painting walls and uh, adding in new computers that doesn't fix anything long term.
1: Right. You know, And here, I think, you know, you, you really get to the core of the moral message of the Torah, which is that you know, all human beings are created uh, equally and infinitely in the in, in the divine image, right? The Mishnah in, in Tractate Sanhedrin, um, you know, asks famously, you know, why is it that the Torah begins by saying that God created, you know, one human being to begin with? And the answer they give is, you know, they, they actually give several answers. One is that human diversity testifies to God's greatness. Um, but another is, uh, so that and another I think you know even more famously than that is that you know to to save one life is to save an entire world to destroy one life is to destroy an entire world right there's an infinite value of every human life but but more than that right so that no person can say that they that my parent is greater than your parents right we all come from the same parents and so I think ultimately what that's saying is that you know what what God intends is first for us to not you know flatten our diversity right that that um that that the fact that we are, you know, unique individuals um, is, uh, is 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 uh, part of the system, right? It's 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 what was intended from the onset, and we shouldn't try to say, well, you know, everybody. If we're going to integrate, you should all just be like me, right? Um, it's that we're, you know, if we're going to integrate, we all have to honor each other in in our difference, but also that um, that you know, if we are all of um, infinite value, and we're all of equal value. Then that means that uh, we can't construct a scenario where um, where some people perpetually have less and some people uh, perpetually have more, which which segregation ultimately does. To their credit, you know, and again, like it shows, you know, I think one of the points the show is trying to make, with the exception maybe of Mac Morris in the show, because he he actually becomes kind of the Screech character in a way. He's like the 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 lovable doofus, um, uh, but. Uh, even though he's also the cool kid at the same time, which also kind of shows you the point of view of the of of the show is that you know the the sort of like there
0: aren't the same stereotypes of the quarterback and the right. cheerleader as there once were.
1: Right. Um, but and and I by the way I love the character Mac Morris and, and love the actor that that plays him. Uh, I thought that was really well done. Um, but the the kids in the show right are the ones who are the driving force behind you know, we need to ensure that we stay an integrated school, right? It was never fair that, you know, that, that the Douglas kids um, were, you know, perpetually saddled with less. They have an opportunity now to have what we have and we're going to fight for them.
0: But even in doing so, and this is where we are part of the problem, even when we're trying to be part of the solution, they don't realize how uncomfortable somebody like uh, aisha felt when she went to Jamie Spano's birthday party right. and he was given he was receiving like an oculus for his birthday and living in this mansion and, and all this stuff that uh, even the things that are normal to somebody which let's just pause for a
1: second like I'm not sure how that happens on a uh, school psychologist's salary but we'll
0: just leave that right how is how is he right now? yeah uh, sorry. Um, I,
1: I mean to cut you off
0: I, I just think we take for granted with our privilege. There, there are certain things that we expect without realizing how much of a luxury they are for us.
1: Right. And the other aspect of, you know, of, uh, the learning process of especially the, the Bayside kids in the show, um, and, uh, for the audience, um, is that, um, uh, is that, you know, uh, the affected population, the impacted population, um, the um, uh, the underprivileged population, um, has to have a say and a voice in their own liberation, right? It has to be sort of like leading the charge of their own liberation, right? So, like, so what the show I think ultimately depicts is, you know, how white allies can support and amplify the voices of uh, of uh, people of color and other uh, marginalized and disadvantaged groups um, rather than like having a sort of like savior complex uh, for them which I think is, is ultimately a very Jewish message right that we stand in solidarity we you know lift up uh, the voices of people who might otherwise not be able to be heard uh, by those who are in power but we um, but we but we do it in partnership
0: Right, allyship that we end up being at fault when we are the ones who only want to hear our voices, that it's about amplifying our voices. This is always my problem when we talk about Martin Luther King Day and we want to talk about Abraham Joshua Heschel, right? Or Joachim Prince, right? These great rabbis who marched with Dr. King. The civil rights movement was about us in the sense that, uh, right, that that's, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, as Dr. King said. But it's not about us. It's it's about standing in partnership and allyship with others. And so I think that that's a really important perspective, right? It's as as the um, uh, Lila Watson said, the Aboriginal activists. Um, she famously said, "If you're here to help me." then you're wasting your time. But if you're, you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Uh, we're, we can't be those saviors. It's about uh, amplifying others' voices. Yet at the same time, you know, that, that savior mentality, we have in Torah, we have in Parsha Re'eh in Deuteronomy chapter 15, these two separate things that are uh, juxtaposed with one another. We have the commandment that there shall be no needy among you and as long as there are people who are in need you should not close your hand or your heart to them uh, right that's to me i always find the the tension between a command of tzedek and tzedakah, and we want to give money to make douglas high school beautiful right to make it on par with all other high schools like valley like bayside But that cannot be the only thing that it is. Otherwise, it is fully dependent on Sadaka. The analogy I use is, is like, we stock a food bank, a food pantry weekly, our synagogue does, and we serve 400 clients a week. If we are only doing that and not lobbying our elected officials to increase SNAP benefits or to reduce the cost of fresh foods or to stop building food deserts in our towns or something like that, then we're only perpetuating the problem even as we are doing an act of Sadaka. Right.
1: I think that that's a really, really important point, right? The the connection between SEDEC and Sadaka. And the show, like uh, I think, does a really good job of, of showing you know, uh, to use the analogy that's often used in social justice uh, circles of, you know, like looking downstream, right? It, it shows the, uh, it shows, first of all, the like deep roots of the class and racial divide uh, in, uh, in, you know, in the area under examination in the show, but also how it's connected to, you know, like policy at the highest level, right? Douglas is closed uh, because um uh, because of a budget shortfall already right? and they say why the budget shortfall happened is because governor zach bailed out the fossil fuel industry, right? So um so it shows the sort of you know the, the connection between uh, you know, misaligned priorities, um, and how um, and how the you know uh, already underprivileged groups are disproportionately and negatively impacted by uh, impacted by those decisions. And I think that that is you know in, in true in in so many different ways that we can um, that that we can identify in our in our current world. And it's you know it's part of the conversation about you know, uh, defunding the police. I know there's a lot of conversation about the, the actual term defunding the police, but I think that the, that, the, that the point of it is that the allocation of resources um, is, uh, is, is misaligned within our society, right? Like we're, we're giving a lot of money to policing um, uh, certain communities, but not giving virtually nearly enough money to those same communities um, to lift themselves uh, out of poverty.
0: Yes. Yes to all of that. And I think through nostalgia and through comedy, this show attempts to make us more aware of that. Um, We should not be ashamed of privilege. Some of that is totally out of our control, right? That's societal control. What we should be more aware of is... What we do with that privilege, and that's really what I think this saved by the bell reboot was trying to tell us
1: yeah i agree. i think I think that that's absolutely right and that, you know I think that that's a very Jewish message right which is you know to um to those who have been uh uniquely blessed, we have you know disproportionate responsibility um and uh and you know uh you know not yado as the as the Torah says right everybody gives a gift according to what they have right if you have privilege right you shouldn't Feel ashamed or embarrassed about it, um, but that means that you have unique responsibility uh, to uh, to to lift up those with with less. We um, have
0: the we ha- we have the responsibility to be an orlagoyim, a light unto the nations, to spread light in the darkness. Um, especially appropriate now as we begin this Hanukkah festival of lights.
1: Right, uh, so transitioning uh, in in a moment to Hanukkah festival of lights. Can we just uh, close out this conversation, preppy, with uh, with with one good bayside
0: cheer? Which which song would you like to do? B-I-G-E-R-S, Be- T-I-G-E-R-S, T-I-G-E-R-S, bayside. Oh, uh, Where- see, I was gonna I was gonna go beep the beep 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 go bayside. bayside. That's the same cheer, by the way, just different parts of it.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, all right. So, uh, say by the bell. Check it out uh, on Peacock. Let us know. Hashtag what,
0: Base I So Woke.
1: Uh, let us know what you think of it. Uh, but I do, you know, this is going to be our, uh, our, our final pod before Hanukkah. Uh, and I, I want to make sure that everybody knows about uh, a, a great uh, children's Hanukkah book that is hot off the presses uh, it is called the littlest candle, a Hanukkah story, uh, by some rabbis that you may or may not have heard of rabbis, Carrie and Jesse Olitsky. This is the book of the season. Rabbi
0: Olitsky, you want to tell us a little bit about it? It is uh number one on Mike Knopf's Amazon wish list.
1: That's right. Uh, Anybody wants to give me a Hanukkah present?
0: <laughs> sure. So, uh, Every Friday morning, as part of our preschool Shabbat celebration here at at Bethel, I tell stories to our preschoolers um, themed about the Parsha, themed about holidays that are coming up. I make them up as I go along. And eventually our preschool director suggested, oh, these are really good. You should write them down and do something with them. I realized that actually storytelling is much different than story writing. That uh, to tell a story aloud with voices and movements is a very different experience than to write a story, especially a children's book, where the illustrations often guide the story. And in some cases, the fewer words, the more powerful the story is. My father, Kerry Olitsky, has written uh, many books, including children's books. And so I turned to him and, and said, you know, write this with me. Help me turn this story idea into a children's book. And we were uh, fortunate to be connected with Kalaniot. Books, which is an imprint of Endless Mountain Publishing, their, their newest Jewish children's imprint. And they were excited to, to publish it uh, as their, their newest book as part of this imprint, Just in Time for Hanukkah. And it's a story really about humility. Uh, it's a story about what does it mean to lead using the example of Flickr. Was the the candle in the story who turns out to be the shamash? The littlest candle ends up being the one to lead the way. Awesome!
1: Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it uh, once again. You know, it's top on my Hanukkah wish list. So, any of our devoted listeners who want to show your appreciation for the pod with a uh, with with a with a gift, you can do it. Show the love to uh, the littlest candle, uh, and uh, uh, let's uh, let's send it to the uh, the top of uh, the. Hanukkah bestseller list this year. Um, and Yashkoach uh, Jesse on that great accomplishment. Can't wait to, to
0: check it out. And before we end, since we're talking about Hanukkah, we cannot talk about what is new and, and hot during Hanukkah without talking about David Diggs' newest jam, Puppy for Hanukkah, which has certainly already replaced uh, the Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song as the go-to uh, Hanukkah jam in our households.
1: Oh, Hanukkah song. We hardly knew ye. Uh, yes. So uh, Puppy for Hanukkah. I have, I have a lot of feelings about Puppy for Hanukkah. There were, uh, likes Saved by the Bell, uh, things that I absolutely love about it and things that I have a little bit more ambivalence about. Uh, David Diggs is a national treasure, of course. Uh, his uh, And uh, the music is great. It's catchy. The video is fun and funny. Uh, I love that uh, it centers uh, representation of Jews of color uh, in the in the video. Um, it has some, you know, great, uh, you know, more content-rich Hanukkah references uh, than, uh, say, the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler. Um, so I love that. Um, not
0: including a him cheering, uh, chanting the uh, the brachot.
1: Yes, uh, auto-tuned and everything. It was uh, really a, 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 a sight to behold. A um, little bit less thrilled about how it um, centers the uh, commercial aspects of Hanukkah, you know, it, it really kind of still plays into that idea that the reason that Hanukkah is great and special is because uh, Christmas kids only get one day of presents and we get eight crazy nights to borrow a phrase for another song, right? That's really kind of the theme of the song is that, you know, the, that you could get great stuff for Hanukkah. Um, to me, that's not the the selling point that I would focus on for Hanukkah, but, I'm not maybe a good salesman.
0: That's why Mike's kids only get socks for Hanukkah.
1: And sometimes a nice sweater.
0: (laughs) With that in mind, Chag Sameach. Have a happy Hanukkah, everyone. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. (laughs) And I am Rabbi Michael Knopf saying, if
1: you want to get us two presents for Hanukkah this year, also you can, in addition to the littlest candle, you can rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice so that more people can join in the conversation. Till next time, happy and get Hanukkah. Us a puppy. And yeah, a puppy wouldn't hurt too.
0: Happy Hanukkah, everyone.